0: Today on the show, we're talking about budgeting in a Q&A format. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your co-host. And today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Trevor. And we're taking on budgeting today uh, as today's topic.
1: And we do a budgeting show every year. And uh, the whole reason to do budgeting annually is is to normalize the concept and i can't stress the importance of having a documented budget this is the difference between winning at finances and losing having a documented budget is is a is a plan imagine a business operating without a business plan they would just be drifting along this is your vision of the future so a, a budget is a must in nobody gets a pass on this this is a must for everybody and We do a used car episode every year. I want to normalize the concept of a used car. I don't want to be this crazy thing that just outrageous people do. If you hear the word budgeting often enough, we do an episode every year. Just as a reminder, budgeting, nobody gets a pass. You have to do it.
0: So last year, we did a two-part episode for budgeting. We did why budgeting is important and then followed up with the how to budget. And this episode, while we are looking at more of the how today, we're also going to it's basically just a QA rapid fire at Trevor really discussing the more fine nitty-gritty details around budgeting. Because Trevor, here's my thing. My thing is we talk about budgeting all the time here on Simple Money Solutions. We hear it everywhere. It, it's basically you know what I equate it to? I equate budgeting to the drinking water of of life. Everyone says drink water, drink water, drink water. You hear it over and over again and the importance of it is is apparent in everyone's mind we all know that but yet we all at some point in time find ourselves not quite meeting that minimum water requirement per day and and maybe not even understanding kind of the full importance of having all that water but just knowing because society tells us that it's important so that's really how i feel about budgeting and is this something that you you have heard reflected as well i mean there's that we always say here's that we should budget but there's, I find, I find that there, we are missing that little piece about how to actually, actually do it.
1: Well, you know, you mentioned water. That's a great example. I think a lot of people, they're drinking water and they don't know why they're drinking water. Cause somebody really skinny beside them <laughs> is drinking a lot of water and they think I better drink water too. That's probably making this person skinny, but they're drinking water. They don't know why I'm saying, even if you're budgeting, if you don't know why, it becomes unsustainable if you don't know why you're doing it if you're just doing it because somebody you know who's you know filthy rich is always talking about budgeting that that's not going to help you stay on course and to and de- de- devise a budget that's going to help meet your your financial needs so drinking water is a great example i know a ton of people that drink so i drink a lot of water myself and i here's the, here's the thing with drinking water it i This isn't a health podcast, but when I don't drink my enough, I don't even measure how much water I drink, but I know when I go to bed at night, if I didn't drink enough water, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. My body's been working so hard to compensate for the lack of hydration that it just drains my body of energy. So my reason for drinking water is I don't, it, it, it keeps me energized. It keeps me sort of, uh, my mind clear It's the effect I get from drinking lots of water is the reason I drink the water, so it motivates me to drink more. So budgeting is the same thing. If you know why you're doing it, if you you could have your own reason that nobody else shares that same reason, but if you have a reason, then it becomes very sustainable.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. And if you are listening to this episode today, and you have listened to our previous episodes on budgeting, the why to budget and the how to budget and you are fully on board with budgeting, you are, you're all in, you are that person who's all in, you've actually tried to budget, you've tried to create that budget, but it's just not working. And I get that wholeheartedly. And that is really where today's episode is stemming from is that, that desire to have a little bit more tactical, practical approach to budgeting and how hopefully at the end of the show today, you'll actually be able to walk away and Get that budget working for you. So, Trevor, we have a kind of some key, overarching topics we're going to touch on today within this episode. We're going to we're going to run through basically the methods of budgeting, some tools, um, how to actually set up your budgeting tool, and the process of moving from expense tracking to budgeting. The and finally, we're going to wrap up the episode with the do's and don'ts of budgeting. So my leading in question for you is, is there one best way to budget for everyone?
1: And the, the short answer is yes and no. So so the yes is the best way to budget for everyone is, is a way that is sustainable. And one of the, the worst, whenever I know somebody who's setting up a budget, and I, I actually don't work with that many people in terms of setting it up, but anybody I have, they start out, Gangbusters with the most granular budget you've ever seen. I mean, they've got a category for uh, this is not, this is no exaggeration. I know somebody who had a category for clothing, active wear, clothing, uh, dress clothes, like fashion, and work clothes. So they had a budget, a clothing budget for all three of those categories. And I get. Why they would break it down, but this was their first venture into budgeting, and that was just an example. They had granular that same granular in in all of their budgets, so that that became so onerous to update that budget and and track the expenses and figure out a budgeted amount. so I think so the any the best way for everyone to budget is at a very high level, and you budget at a high level, meaning, just say you had only four categories and just say you get to the end of three months and your spending is still out of control. Well, you look at your four categories and say, which one's the biggest one? And I will take that big category and subdivide that into four categories and see if I can figure out what's causing the problem. Let another couple months go by. And if you're still, if, if you're just hemorrhaging money, then start to look at, you know, you, you start to Dial into the problem. So, the best way for everyone is to start out very high level, very few categories, and build the categories out as as the budget on as time unfolds, and you start to identify where your problems are. Because there's no sense uh, creating super granular c- categories for clothing, and you don't even have a, a spending problem with when it, when it comes to you only buy clothes a couple times a year, but you've got this granular clothing budget that you're not solving any problems the whole purpose of a budget is to help you solve your financial problems
0: i love that you brought that up as our first example and in this episode we are actually going to talk about some actual categories that you can incorporate into your budget as well and um, that's literally how nitty-gritty we're getting into budgeting today but with that example Trevor i mean I, I, I haven't, that hasn't quite been me, but I have really closely been there, done that with the level of, of granular categories that I've created for my own budget. And this, I think, I mean, and anyone listening to this today might say otherwise, but I personally feel where we sometimes get caught up is that we, we do start doing that and then updating our budget doesn't feel, or even just having a budget doesn't really feel like a tool for us. It feels like a burden. It is, and you know,
1: so from personal experience, collapsing categories. So, just say you started too granular, and you want to collapse all your clothing into one line item in your budget. That's actually more work than it is to, you know, at month six start breaking your clothing out into finer detail. Do you know what I mean? It's really hard to go back, go uphill when you're altering your budget strategy, but it's easier to you know, as of March, I'm going to start categorizing my, you know, separating my groceries from my cleaning supplies. But to, to say, okay, I I don't have a problem with grocery or cleaning supplies. I'm just going to collapse those into one. I find it, you know, in terms of apps and spreadsheets, it's harder to, to collapse categories than it is to expand. That's a really,
0: really great point. My next question for you around budgeting is your personal experience with it. So how has budgeting changed and evolved for you as you've progressed through your life stages? You have gone through your early 20s to, to um, getting married, to starting a family, to now being an empty nester. So how has your budget evolved for those changes?
1: Well, if I think of a budget, it's, it's a tool that I use to solve life's financial problems. This is why I, I've budgeted my entire life. And it's been a very effective tool. So if you think of all the stages of your life, as you move through life, you're solving different problems. Right now, I am in the problem of solving the wealth accumulation problem for early retirement. Well, let me tell you, when I was uh, had a young family, uh, I had twins and a, and a six-month-old, I, I wasn't trying to solve wealth accumulation <laughs> in the least, right? I, I was trying to solve uh getting enough food on the table and you know paying the mortgage and getting the bills paid and 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 getting my kids clothed and fed that was the problems I was trying to solve at that point so as your problems evolve in life so should your budget so there, there is no one strategy of budgeting that solves your problems throughout your life for instance in my 20s i was saving up for a down payment on a house that was kind of wealth accumulation. I was accumulating wealth to, in, to put down as a down payment on a house. So oddly enough, the budget in my 20s probably looked a lot like the budget in my 50s. But the budget in my 30s and 40s looked dramatically different. So it's, it, really, it really comes down to you have to really look at what's causing problems in your financial life and designing a budget to help address those problems.
0: That is, I love that. It's so good. And I mean, we know that personal finance is not this static thing. It is, it is always evolving. So when you, when you develop a budget and it's, it's working, is it, how easily is it easy is it for you to look at it and keep reevaluating it?
1: Well, I, I don't look at it as a budget, as a statue. I look at it as a, as a movie. It's constantly evolving I, I probably, I start my every, this is for the whole time I had a budget, my budget might look one way in January, but by the time I get to December, I've tweaked or modified something in my budget, my budgeting process that by December, December, it looks different. Maybe not dramatically different, but somewhat different, but over the course of three years, dramatically different. So I would say every three years I've massaged or done something or, or, or come up with a new way of, of tracking expense or realized lawn care really is not a problem for me. I don't know why I'm tracking that separately. It's like, it's, it, it, it really, it's not going to change how I spend my money. So I, that's an example where I, I, I actually had lawn cares that is aligned on my budget for years. My lawn looked terrible. <laughs> so I, I don't know why I did that. And uh, I rolled it in with just house maintenance, and my lawn continued to look terrible. So I I don't see the, the I why I ha- I felt I think I begrudged the lawn care expense, and so I separated it, and it it just it it was unnecessary.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a great example, and you you do bring light to one specific thing about a budget is that it's not this set it and forget it and enter your expenses kind of thing. And it's this thing that is alive and you have to kind of, like you said, work with it and and evolve with it as your life evolves. So I, I love that perspective.
1: Well, if you're looking at your budget often enough and you're thinking about, you, you really have to look at it and say, you look at your budget and just, you know, you're analyzing your spending and I'm overspending this and I'm underspending that. And, and then you also have to stand back and look at, the problems you're trying to solve in life and try to correlate those, try to try to connect those dots and say, is this helping me solve what I'm struggling with right now?
0: No, that's, it's so true. That is so true. So my next question for you goes back to the beginning of your time spent budgeting. So can you speak to when you first started using a budgeting tool and was it out of necessity or simply just because, quote unquote, you thought you should be using it? And in combination with that question, I mean, we all know that there's really no formal education in creating a budget. So how, what did that process look like for you?
1: Well, I, I'm obviously a uh, personal finance nerd. Anybody who, <laughs> who starts a podcast on personal finance, I, I've always been fascinated by money and, and banking and, and just tracking expenses. And So I, I, as soon as I started earning income, I, I, I did what I thought was budgeting. I, it turns out I was just tracking my spending. And that, that, I, I thought I was budgeting. So when I met my wife... And, you know, we, we would talk and just in conversation I says, Oh yeah, I, I budget all the time. You know, I've got a budget and I've, I've been budgeting for years. And she says, so is she, you know, that was something that we actually had in common, which was crazy uh, interaction when we met, but that was a <laughs> conversation we had and we weren't sharing bank statements, but we did share that we enjoyed the idea of budgeting and tracking finances <laughs> as romantic as that sounds. Uh, but then when we, um, got married and our, our money came together uh, she said I th- she goes i thought you budgeted <laughs> <laughs> and I said i do look at this she goes that's not budgeting that's that's just expense tracking you, you you don't have a plan there you're not there's no goal in this thing there's no you're not trying to accomplish something you're just tracking your expenses that's you know it didn't affect our relationship <laughs> but 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 I I, I I thought I was budgeting so I met somebody who actually who actually really budgeted. It was my wife. So that's when I actually took on, you know, in and, and actually did budgeting and I seen the value in it in that we in short order saved up a, a nice down payment for a house and it was that budgeting mentality that she brought to the relationship that really delivered that that result.
0: So there's so many things I wanna pull from that. One is that I like that you brought up the different differentiation between expense tracking and budgeting. And I think this is really where some of the mystery comes when it, we speak to budgeting. And this is a core reason why that is a topic we are going to touch on later in the show is the difference between both and how to actually move from ex, just expense tracking to what I think is the nuts and bolts of, of budgeting, obviously, the actual creating a budget, creating a plan part of budgeting.
1: Well, if you, if you think of of budgeting, in, in expense tracking saying this is where my money went. Budgeting says this is where I want my money to go, right? That's the distinction. And this is you telling your money where you want it to go before you even earn it. You're saying this is where it is going. It's predetermined. I don't even need discipline or willpower because I've already decided where all this money is going to go as soon as I earn it. Expense tracking, it's, there's some value in that. I mean, so somebody who doesn't budget, but at least they expense track, at least they can reflect and say, oh, I know where all my money went. So that's something that's, that's worth knowing. And it may alter your behavior going forward. It might not, but hopefully it does. So you track where your money went. That's, that is really good information, but telling your money where to go is very powerful.
0: I love, I love that differentiation and I think I'm going to throw out this question right now. I was going to save it for later, but it seems really relevant right now. When we are looking at that, when we are setting, looking ahead at, at where we're going to allocate our income when we do receive it, I think a big thing is how do we have that self-discipline to allocate that amount of money to that budgeted amount that we've predetermined
1: so the, the key is when you do a budget planning meeting or you're you're devising your budget and you're determining where your future income is going to go you are not under the you're not standing in Best Buy staring at a 65 inch TV when you're when you're devising that plan right so you, there's no willpower and there's no temptation that you're dealing with when you're making this plan, right? When you're, when you're deciding where your money's going to go, you're not staring at something shiny that you want to buy at the same time. So this is why, and, and then, so once you've decided this is where the money's going, you would, I would say you, so for instance, when, as I get paid where I work, I can redirect money to a secondary uh, account for my direct deposit and that would be a savings account. So if I had some savings goals, I would make that money go there automatically, not into my checking account, and then it's there free to spend. So that's an example how you can help with temptation. But the whole idea of telling your money where to go in advance is so temptation and willpower are not working against you.
0: That that put the light bulb off in my head, Right, what you said right there, which... I'm gonna throw this other question I was in safer for later as well but so I agree that temptation piece is so so critical and, and important to get over so really budgeting does take that away but I I think the big thing that always comes to my mind is if you set a budget amount for for thing X for category X how what what emotion keeps you? on track to staying within that budgeted amount and is is it always maybe if you are constantly going over is it simply is it always willpower or is is maybe just simply kind of overspending or maybe too small of a budgeted amount is that is that at play as well like it's a fine line and i i personally have trouble really conceptualizing that
1: well, assuming there's a goal or like assuming there's a problem you're trying to solve with your budget, like just say you want to buy a house, that is a problem you want to solve. You know, the size of a down payment you need to buy the house you're interested in, then you know, your the rate at which you can save. And so you end up with a timeline. You s- they say at this savings rate, we can have this much money in, an, in a savings account to buy a house with. And, and then you have a date on a calendar in the future and you're working toward that date. So if that, why you're doing this is big enough, it, it will be easy. So the idea of saving money for the sake of saving is, is really hard. I mean, uh, unless you've got a huge amount of disposal income, it, it, it's, it's a temporary thing. But if you have a problem you're trying to solve, like you want to buy a house, you, you put time frames around your goal and you you're working toward it so if at some point you overspend your budget and you end up falling short this month on your savings goals then you are forced to either move that house purchase further out on the calendar which would be very painful if it's something you really want or you will be you could look at your budget and say we'll make some adjustments somewhere else because we overspent this category we'll underspend somewhere else whether maybe it's discretionary you you can you that that's a decision you have to make how bad do you want this problem you're trying to solve
0: it really as like we always say here on the show it comes back to that why and making sure that why is is powerful enough to keep you committed to your goals so I love that
1: but when your budget is put on a when, when your goal is is placed on a timeline like so your budget, at some point, it's not just math. It's this tangible thing you want in the future. Mine currently is early retirement. That's a tangible thing you want in the future. It's, it's super motivating for me. I remember when I wanted a house. That was really motivating. So those things were so motivating that I was prepared to do whatever it took to get that goal. But I had to put that, that goal on a calendar. I had to put it on a timeline somewhere. And since so, so I needed something to aim for, and that's what keeps you on your budget.
0: No, I love that because we do talk a lot about how those big, huge, audacious goals can sometimes feel unachievable just because they're so far in the distance and such this, and such a large number that we're hoping to save towards for this big purchase. So I, I really do love the emphasis on the timeline. I I want to circle back to your wife and and how she was brought into the circle. So for you and her, it sounded like budgeting was this thing that was inevitably going to be a part of your relationship. Uh, Was there any, I mean, obviously you found out that maybe you weren't actually doing the budgeting part as you would assume, but for, for any other individuals listening to this who, are hoping to get their partner on board or who are, are working on bringing their partner on board. Is there any key pieces of, of wisdom that kind of helped you and your wife mesh that budgeting process together?
1: Well, I think you have to be on the same page or want the same things in life. Money is, I'm going to there's, there's three deal breakers in relationships. In my observation, there's, infidelity, there's substance abuse, and there's money. Those three things can, any one of those things can destroy a relationship in short order. And I I can't think of any three that are more impactful than those. So if you can't be on the same page with your life partner on those three things, I'm saying it's probably not going to work out. It may work out in the short term. It, it, it may work out long term, but it'll be a struggle if it does. But those three things, you've got to be on the same page. So once you find somebody in life who you are, you're that committed to, and those three deal breakers are, you're on the same page. You Whether what side of the fence you're on, I, I would never pass judgment. So long you're both on the same side. Um, then, Once you get in a committed relationship, it's no longer your money and my money. It's our money because it's our goals. It's our dreams that we're trying to achieve. So I think, could you imagine if I had this goal of retiring at age 55 and my wife did too, but our money was separate. And unfortunately, uh, she wasn't able to retire. Her finances wouldn't let her retire at age 55, but I was able to. So I would be enjoying this retirement all by myself, traveling the world or whatever, and my wife would still be working. That would, to me, would seem incredibly strange. And I mean, I, I don't even know what to call it a relationship at that point. So I, that's that's an example. If you take it like to the to the extreme, what what would that look like if, if you separated your money and you get to age 55 and you could retire and your spouse couldn't? What, what what would you do with your time? Like what what? How would you enjoy that? Like so, I, I just think at so, at some point in a relationship, hers and ours, his and hers becomes ours.
0: I love that perspective. It's 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 really it really illustrates how two individuals, uh, kind of budgeting philosophies, come together.
1: Now I do know couples. They keep their money separate. And when you talk to them and understand them, it's clearly they have two different views on personal finance. One, and this is this is the common one. One person's a saver, one person's a spender. And for that reason, they keep their money separate. And, you know, in a lot of relationships, there is a spender and a saver. And I, so in, okay, my relationship, my wife is a natural saver. I'm a natural spender. Well, in in a relationship, you 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 would like to take the qualities of both people, and you I like to think we balance each other out. And I kind of motivate my wife to spend a bit of money and in what I would say enjoy a bit of life, and she kind of pulls in the reins on me and says, you know that's excessive. It, you know if you buy that, it's kind of beyond meeting your needs, and and it would you you might regret buying something. So we I think we balance each other out. So. Another example, okay, this isn't finance, but I like to show up early for everything. I like to be, I I, I like to be early, not on time, early. And my wife, she tends to run a little late, you know, last minute thing. And I like to think between the two of us, this, this struggle to get out of the house, to get somewhere, we get there just in time, which is perfect. So if you're in a relationship where Somebody sees the world differently than you, not dramatically. Otherwise, why would you be together? But somewhat differently. Look at that, your partner, and say, they they probably balance me out. I'm probably extreme one way, and they kind of bring me back to the center, making me a better person because of it.
0: That's so good. I love that. So in in kind of furthering the 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 view on how you and your wife come together for that what does your budget look like a budgeting process look like in in fact at, at a more practical levels how are both you and your wife involved in the budgeting process at, like in actual day-to-day sense like what does that look like
1: so my wife is without question she is the bookkeeper that is the rule she's assumed uh, she is the one who inputs all the expenses into the exp- our expense tracking app. Uh, she pays most of the bills. <laughs> Sounds like I don't do anything, <laughs> but trust me, I'm getting to my part. Um, so she does, the, I, I call it the bookkeeping. I do the financial planning and investing, but we never do this in silos. So w- when she is inputting expenses, she's always asking me like so we review our spending to budget every month together we're sitting in a we could be sitting in a in a coffee shop we could be sitting in our car anywhere because it's on the phone it's so convenient so we we review that spending monthly and we will ask each other you know is this an expense we still want to incur going forward and we on any of the reoccurring expenses like netflix comes up we say, do we still think we're getting value from that yes we do okay we'll continue um i had an audible membership for audiobooks for a while and she said are you still getting value with your audiobooks do you do you enjoy that and i said you know i I think i've got a a few books in my queue that i haven't listened to yet so i think i'm going to take a little bit of a break and then she'll say oh did you know you bought an an ebook from amazon and i go oh i forgot about that i haven't even read that book yet and so it starts to turn the light on that maybe i'm uh consuming uh, more mat- I, i'm buying more material than i can consume as you you, you start to see a picture forming uh, i had a subscription to tsn it's a sports streaming service and uh she said you know do you still watching that and I, I said you know what? i haven't watched that in a couple of weeks maybe i'll I'll you know push pause on that for a while so we were monthly we were we have these conversations reviewing our spending and evaluating if, if we're getting value that's how we word it are you still getting value here you know, are we still getting value? Uh, something, here's an observation we made. I recently, uh, got, uh, I guess it's about a year and a half ago. I got a, a new used car. One of the benefits I wasn't anticipating was it burns about half as much gas as my previous car did. I didn't know that. So we're reviewing a budget and she says, you know, we keep underspending our fuel expense every month. I wonder why that is. So we dug a little deeper and realized, oh, this new car burns a lot less gas so we we ended up freeing up some money in our automotive expense to put some somewhere else so that that's an example how we we kept reviewing that but uh now my rule is i take these bookkeeping numbers and i pump them into a spreadsheet and if uh, i'll just give you a visual as so you i've got my spending and income categories down the uh, left hand side and i got the year and months across the the uh the rows across the top and i lay in my expenses month by month. And what it gives me is a basically a cash flow statement. I start with my cash flow, my my cash balance in January, add my income minus my expenses, ending cash flow at the end of January, which becomes the opening cash balance for February and so on. And I just keep doing that throughout the year. And I, what that does is identifies if you have a cash flow issue throughout the year. I get to the end of the year and then I I use that to project my expenses into the future. I will adjust things for inflation and whatnot. But I get a a view of what what you know three years I would look. So in my spreadsheet, I have five years worth of of actual slash forecasted or slash budgeted information in the spreadsheet. So I, I'm always looking into the future, seeing what you know, if I can ob- see any potential pitfalls or problems and it's just a a great planning tool and then i also do the our our investing in terms of investing uh, retirement investing and, and other types of investing so first of all i but but i just want to say my wife's part of that conversation as well we 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 invest together so we we talk about what we want to invest in how much we want to invest we strategize about Tax sheltered investments versus non-tax sheltered investments, and how we want that money to flow, and so we're always working together and strategizing. I, I as she physically does the bookkeeping, I physically do the investing, but we do it together.
0: No, I, and I, I, love that. I love that. And one person is is definitely spearheading and and doing the the certain activity, um, but I love the collaborative approach and. One thing that I loved from what you said was that it's it's a month by month review. I mean, we're not talking quarterly or annually; we're talking month to month, and I think that is powerful. And we always say that even automation, automating our expenses, how it takes away that ability to reflect on on what we're doing with our money and what we're doing with our income and. So I I love, I love that month to month look. It's, it really allows you to like you and your wife do see if things are actually adding value. I think it's powerful.
1: Well, we live in a world of subscription services. I mean, they're, they are everywhere. This is an age of access as opposed to ownership. So we want access to services. Like we don't want to own music. We want access to listen to music. We don't want to own DVDs. We just want access to watch it on Netflix. So in the world of subscription services, and the free trials if you don't look at your your expenses monthly if imagine if you looked at them once a year and you realized uh, you know I I, re, I signed up for the Spotify uh, free trial and I never did cancel it and now I've been paying for, for a whole year and I never even listened to it once could you imagine getting to December and realizing one of two things I could have been listening to Spotify all year long, or <laughs> I paid for something I didn't even want all year long. Oh,
0: definitely, and and that's—I mean—we could do a whole episode on subscription services from that perspective alone. I want to circle back to you. Brought up your spreadsheet, and I know we mentioned in the in a past episode where we did uh, some listener write-ins. Your Excel Excel spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet in general, was something that came up as. something uh, a listener resource that we were going to provide on our website uh, kind of more of a template uh, that's hopefully something we'll still develop and and publish but just a quick question about it as you're describing it does your spreadsheet contain all the categories that your the app does or is this or when we're talking the kind of on the left hand side what 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 was there it was it just kind of high level
1: so we use a an iPhone app called Home Budget that is our uh, bookkeeping tool, I'll call it, and budgeting tool. And I mimic those exact categories in my spreadsheet. But I want to say, with just with this spreadsheet, because somebody wrote in and asked about it. I, so I, I'm a financial analyst for a living. I create, people have told me I've, I create magical <laughs> spreadsheets. I mean, I, I create spreadsheets that perform magic people have told me that i don't think they do but I, I i think i have some fairly advanced excel skills not bragging or boasting about that but just that my job has required i develop advanced spreadsheet skills without question i i believe i have advanced spreadsheet skills the spreadsheet i use for this basic spreadsheet skills and the, all that's in there is is you know adding Categories and some sum formulas. That is it. There is no magic going on in that spreadsheet. So when I do put it out there, I mean I'm putting it out there just for the format. This is how I look at my numbers. In terms of uh, the categories, they I would guess for most a young person, my categories should be meaningless compared to somebody in their fifties to, to somebody in their twenties. So don't try to mimic my categories, but just. To get conceptually what it is I'm trying to accomplish with the spreadsheet, that that's what I'm going to put on the on the website.
0: Because we all know that spreadsheets will definitely come out a little bit better when you can see them versus through audio. And a big question for you, because you have mentioned that you do use Excel, but also your app. So, what just what are you getting from your spreadsheet that you're not getting from the app? Obviously, that kind of three to five year outlook, of course, but does it does it look does it like what what does it do differently i guess than your app like what are what are the what's the main difference other than the outlook
1: so the the app is really t- looking at your current spending versus your current budget right so it's it's just it's looking at a very small window of time my spreadsheet is looking at the entire year i've got some actual spending I, you know just say it's june i've got i've got 6 months of of actual spending and i've got 6 months of of budgeted spending right so I get a view of of the twelve months of the year, but then I use that same spreadsheet to to look out into the future to five years out to see what what does that future look like if I start adjusting these numbers for inflation, and it it just gives me a a perspective, and then you start to look at things saying, well, you know, I, I'm probably only going to own one car a year from now. You know, when when me and my wife retire, I don't think there's going to be need for two cars, and the, my, my second car is 16 years old. I, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to put a whole lot of money into keeping that thing alive for much longer. So, and I don't see a need for a second car. So I start to look at my future and, and and I, I I hope my expenses are going to go down and, and, and they are, and you just start to see, I I don't know. It's just a vision into the future, a financial vision into the future that you, the app is, is working month to month and the spreadsheet is, is really working year to year.
0: So basically just kind of what you, Get to really see, and you can also do what-if
1: analysis with it. Again, no magical spreadsheets, but you can say, if my income were cut in half, Ooh. what would my financial future look like? If my income doubled, or if I if I got a promotion and it went up to this, what would my future look like? Or here's one: if my if my income got cut in half, then what expenses would I have to get rid of? in order to break even, like, I mean, not, not go in the hole. And you can quickly just zero numbers out on a spreadsheet and say, you know, I can live without this. I can live without this. You know, I can get rid of Netflix. I can get rid of my second car. I can get rid of all these discretionary expenses and we'll be okay. So you can do a lot of what and what if analysis with a spreadsheet.
0: I, I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing that as you're talking about it. And that's, it's powerful. That is a powerful tool. So I have two more questions for you before we move on to talking about methods of budgeting. My big one, and this is the elephant in the room that I just want to address. So you make magical spreadsheets for a living. You have a background, you're a background with a CPA, you work within corporate finance. Are these slash how do these skill sets, professional skill sets benefit in you in budgeting? or is it is it just is it just something that you have on the side and, and how I, I my question really boils down to can the everyday average person excel at budgeting the way you do or is that a super skill that you have because of your background? So in my
1: background as a financial analyst it 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 could be beneficial if you choose to let it be and it's really taking the blinders off and trying to apply, the same logic we use in corporate finance to your personal finances. And it takes some effort to make that transition. Here's an example. So if I, in corporate finance, if we are, if if we have to cut, reduce our spending by 20%, just say that's a directive our organization's given. Well, we don't just go into our budget and take 20% off everything and say, we're good, (laughs) you know, done, done. No, we have to devise a plan. Like we, we have to come up with physically, here's what we're going to do. And if we do these things, it will reduce the spending by 20%. So we figure out the things we can do and figure out how much savings we'll get from it. And then we do the math to see if it works. So if you think of that logic apply to your personal finance, just say you're overspending in your dining out, in your in your grocery category, which happens to include dining out. And just say you overspend that every month. And you say, well, we got to cut back, you know, $100 a month on, on, on our food bill. And, you know, the easiest one's going to be to cut back on dining out. Well, you don't just say, okay, we're going to cut back on dining out. Done. No, you say, here's the restaurants we're not going to go to. You know, just, you look at it and say, okay. I stop at Tim Hortons three times a day. Um, we go out for supper with friends every Friday night, and we eat. We go out for breakfast every Saturday morning. Like you could you without too much effort, looking in your historical spending, you can see where you've been dining out. Then decide where you're not going to go. The restaurants you're not going to go to. That is how you save money in a budget. You don't just say we're going to. We're we going to cut back and you have to sign an action to it. So do, did I get any benefit from being a CPA and a financial analyst that helped me in personal finance? If I got one benefit, it's that you come up with the action and then you figure out how much money it's going to save you. That, that is how you make changes or adjustments in your budget. You don't, you don't do the math first and figure out what, what's going to get you there. You figure out what can I go without and will it get me to my financial goal?
0: I I love that because it really peels back the onion on how we can make those changes to our budget. I mean, it's easy to say, let's cut down on spending like you said, but I love that. I love that peeling back the onion to get to the root. So my final question for you before we move on to the next section is around more of the family aspect of it. So any of our listeners right now who have children or raising children are thinking about starting a family and wondering about the the children side of things and not how do you budget for a family or, or create, a, create budgeting categories to accommodate your family, but more along the lines of how to get your children when they are of that age involved in the budgeting process as a family, as well as how did you work with maybe your children to help them develop a budget for their own personal finances?
1: Well, I think it's important to observe your children and identify them as natural savers or natural spenders. That, that is job one as a parent. And if if you know you're, just say you have one, just say you have three kids, and one of them's a natural saver, and one of them's a natural spender. Well, you can't measure the success or failure in, in budgeting or personal finance of, of the natural spender and the natural saver on the same plateau. In fact, if, if you had, so, okay, so one of my kids was a natural saver and one of my kids was a natural spender. And I spent a great deal of time trying to motivate my natural saver to be a free spirit, Free-spirited spender and enjoy his youth and spend some of his money. And I also spend a lot of time coaching my natural spending child on being financially responsible and not spending every penny you you get on just frivolous things. So, as a parent, you you have to look at what you're working with. You know the the, the raw materials, spender saver, and coach them to become. Uh, sort of a a more balanced person?
0: So... Let's move on now to talking about the methods of budgeting. So we're going to get into more of the tactical piece of of how to go about actually laying out your budget. And even if you have a budget developed, this part I think is good for maybe just reevaluating. Like you said, Trevor, it, there's always that point where if something's not working for you, kind of reevaluating what might so I've pulled together three different methods of budgeting uh, that you might have heard of. With one, it, with one being the method that Trevor actually utilizes in his budgeting framework. So um, there's the 50 30 20 budget, um, a budget that follows the per a more predictable versus unpredictable spending and finally mandatory versus discretionary spending. So, I'll open up, up with the 50/30/20. So, this one breaks down your expenses into three categories: needs, wants, and savings. So, 50% of your take-home income is allotted towards needs, 30% is devoted to wants, and the final 20% goes towards savings. This method was explained from on the balance.com by Paula Pant.
1: And I'm not a huge fan of this one. This one doesn't suggest you're being deliberate about anything. It's using very general, I mean, this is a very high level general guideline. I I love that the end goal is to save 20% of your income, that that's a great goal. Uh, And, you you know, uh, this would suggest you should design a life that 50% of your money is going toward to satisfying your needs. And thirty percent is going towards satisfying your wants. I love the approach, but but if this was just how you had three buckets of money and you spent it, however, as soon as you your goal changed or your you ran into a problem where you you weren't achieving your goals, I don't think you'd know where to start making adjustments. You'd say, well, somewhere in the fifty percent of my needs, I, I, I'm I'm spending sixty percent of my money, so I, I got to fix that. But I you know that the how becomes very hard.
0: One, I, so I agree with you, first of all, and one kind of, I don't want to say complaint, but one kind of thing against this budgeting method that was even outlined in the article I referenced was the fact that even when you're grocery shopping, a lettuce for your salads for the week could categorize under a need for groceries, but a piece of fruit could more be a want. And that's just, I mean, those are just examples of fruit and vegetable, but it, it, it comes a little bit more dicey and questionable, I think.
1: I think you'd be forever... Deb- e- your your willpower, your judgment would, would be altered. So at the end of the workday, if you're, just say you're going to get groceries on a Saturday morning when you're fresh and and you've just woke up and you've just had your favorite cup of coffee and you go grocery shopping, I think you'd be really uh, deliberate or very diligent about the the wants and needs. But let's just say you're going grocery shopping at the end of a workday where you just were ground down to a powder by by your your company and you're out there grocery shopping. And and I I think you, you, you would, you would be weaker and you might say, you know, I deserve this, this, whatever. I I, I think, I think your judgment would be altered depending on the time of day or day of the week you went grocery shopping or shopping for anything. So I, I think this is a great high level approach in terms of how to divide up your money. But at some point, you I think you have to be more deliberate about how you spend your money. You have to assign where you want every dollar to go specifically, not just a 50-30-20 rule.
0: No, I, that's it's that's a great point. And when it comes to, and this kind of leads into the next budgeting method too I want to talk about, but when it comes to creating a budget. And if if, if you're talking to someone who really can't get their head into the game, if they're struggling with budgeting, it's not something they're convinced on. Would you ever recommend starting with a more rudimentary, high level overview, not as as kind of categorized as your go to budgeting method just to get them situated into the budgeting world? Or would you always just recommend go ahead first, get it right, do do some things that's going to be okay long term and sustainably?
1: See, I don't think you should ease into budgeting ever. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's something you've you, you got to test the water on a warm up to the idea. It's not optional. You have to do it. So get in there and do it deliberately and right. And I just want to say, Paula Pant uh, has a podcast called Afford Anything. I am a huge fan of Paula Pant and her work. I, I just want to make that point. She is a, a, her podcast, everyone should listen to it. I think it's, it's fabulous.
0: So the next uh, method of budgeting, and this this next method it was actually what inspired today's show. I was listening to a unrelated, not personal finance podcast, but it was it's just a kind of a life podcast. And this certified financial planner was on that podcast. Her name is Shannon Lee Simmons, and it's it's an incredible episode. I should I'll I'll put it in the show notes. So you can uh, listen to it, but it's from um the Fill Your Cup podcast. It's it's a, it's kind of a. Uh, a female-based um, podcast with uh, hosted by a nutritionist. It's kind of in that realm. But it was a really great personal finance episode. And uh, Shannon went on to talk about the predictable versus unpredictable um, budgeting method. And and I, the whole episode is incredible. And I, I really kind of was fascinated by this idea. Trevor and I had a conversation about it and it led into this whole episode, as I was saying. But predictable really broke down to those expenses that really don't change month to month. So that could be your cell phone, it could be rent, it could be your internet, things that are gonna be the same month to month. And those subscriptions, like that, that's all gonna stay the same. And then unpredictable is things like gas and groceries, uh, dining out, entertainment, even um, utilities around your house. So things that are gonna be more changing. And the theory with this is that you can when you when you do receive your income you can then allocate it to all those predictable expenses and the rest that you have is for those unpredictable expenses and I mean in, in the example of, of this episode it was for that person who feels guilty every time they order pizza because they don't know if their budget really allows for that but with using this predictable versus unpredictable framework if you pay if you set all that money aside for all those predictable expenses like rent and internet and essentially what will be left is things that you can uh, put towards unpredictable. And this is for the person where if, if their grocery budget goes over by $30, one week that it's okay because simply groceries are, are lot, allotted into the unpredictable side of the equation.
1: So I don't like this approach. This screams uh, not deliberate. And, and I, the, the thing with unpredictable expenses i get they do exist unpredictable expenses if we had a really cold winter and you your heating bill would be very unpredictable right well you know it's going to be it's going to go up you don't buy how much i think with unpredictable expenses you have to work really hard to dial them in it it takes effort to get them dialed in and you should have tolerances right so your heating bill if you've lived in the same place long enough like I've lived in my house for 20 years. I have no right to say I have no idea what my heating bill is going to be. It could be anything, right? I can't say that. That's I've lived here long enough that I should be able to predict with some degree of confidence what my heating bill is going to be. And my fuel bill, I mean, I, okay, I just got a new car. Maybe I get a bit of a pass on because I don't know how much fuel it's going to burn to live with. But if you've been driving a car for three months, you you can begin to predict your fuel expense. And and when you get an unpredictable, so there's unpredictable and then there's unanticipated. And so I'm going to say, just say you get a car repair and it's obviously you didn't think your transmission was going to go, but it did. And now you got like a $1,400 car repair. Well, we've done a show on emergency funds and that's what they're for. You should have an emergency fund to absorb the cost that you weren't anticipating so if you do get into a situation where you you've you've got you've you an expense come in that you could not possibly have foreseen then you have an emergency fund to cover that that's what it exists for so that that unpredictable expenses it's almost like you're trying to you're looking for a pass on on the tough ones the ones that are hard but you you have to work hard to make them as predictable as possible.
0: No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly and um, I, I, do, I do agree. The idea definitely is is very enticing, but it does give you a little bit more free than than maybe should be allowed in order to achieve those savings goals. So last but not least, and this is the method that Trevor and I both use and it's been tried and tested and I'd like you to kind of speak to it, Trevor. It's the mandatory versus discretionary uh, budgeting method, I guess.
1: And the beauty of this approach, so you've got your mandatory expenses and, and then you've got your discretionary. So the discretionary are the things that make life comfortable. That's how I, I that's how I think of my discretionary expenses. These are the things that make my life comfortable, and my manager expenses, these are the ones that keep me off the street. These are the ones that that make me not be homeless. Right. That that's that's the kind of distinction I make. So I and the reason I love the separation is just say you had a, a two income household, you've got a you say a family of four, both working parents, and you come home from work one Friday and one of the one of the two parents have been laid off from their job. They're at work they don't know for how long it could be temporary. It could be six months. It could be a year. It could be forever. Well, you know that you're, you go into your emergency plan. You, you look at your discretionary expenses and say, some of these have to go, you know, which, which ones can we turn off right away? I mean, some of them you can't just turn off and on. Hopefully you're not tied into any contracts. We've done a podcast about that before. Contracts are your enemy. So you cancel your your streaming services, you cancel your music services. You 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 go in and you just cancel all your discretionary expenses until you have a, a financial plan that that keeps you above water. So that that's the beauty of mandatory versus discretionary. And just say you're not reaching your financial goals. So you've got this mandatory discretionary, and you're you're not you're not getting close enough to your your house down payment. You're not getting there as fast as you would hoped. Well, you can say well, let's look at some of the comforts of life and, and just say, how, how many of these do I really need? How bad do I want this house down payment versus these comforts of life? So you, it gives you a, something to zero in, in zero in on in your budget, something to it, it, rather, because if it was, if your spending was just spread and it was all not separated, mandatory, mandatory discretionary, you might be looking at your grocery budget because it's your biggest spending item. Well, Maybe we should spend less money on food, you know, or maybe we should spend less money on personal hygiene. (laughs) I don't recommend it, but you know, you start looking at this stuff or maybe we should spend less money on home maintenance or, and you start looking at the bigger ticket items. Now, okay, this is where it gets kind of dicey. Where's the $65,000 truck payment in this mandatory versus discretionary? Well, it's transportation. You got to get to work. So you might put it in your uh, mandatory spot, but you know, you don't need all of that sixty five thousand dollars to get to work, right? So, you, but you can't split your truck payment. But here is what you could do: you could figure out what a reasonable car payment would cost you. I, again, I have, I am an advocate of paying cash for cars. Three years is the max you should borrow money for. But so you got your three year truck payment, your sixty five thousand dollars truck. So what's that about two thousand dollars a month? Some crazy number. It's outrageous. So you could say, okay, what what would a a, a Practical piece of transportation cost me and car payments, and I know what my truck payment costs. So the difference is some of that's mandatory, some of that's discretionary. That's one way of looking at it. I I doubt anybody would do that, but if you're looking to you know save money or you figure out how much of your money's creating comforts of life versus survival, it's a way of looking at it's
0: it. It's so good, and it, it keeps it keeps the like you said the ability to slash those expenses in a moment's notice, very, very attainable. So I want to move on now to talking about tools. And we kind of covered this earlier, but you use both an app and a spreadsheet. Um, the app, you're probably tired of hearing about it. We use it, we talk about it all the time, and we're not sponsored by them as well, even though I, like, that'd be, we talk about them so much, but it's home budget. And Trevor, you've used this app for quite a long time. Well, here's the
1: criteria for an app. So a smartphone app, here was the criteria. There had to be an, an Apple version, like an iOS version. Cause I use, that's what we use, but it had to be an app that did not require me to connect it to my bank account. I, if you read your banking information, If you share your bank your banking information with any third party, you void a whole bunch of uh, protection the bank offers you. So that's that was criteria one. So it's the minute you say, "I'm not going to share my banking information with any any of the apps," you take a whole bunch of apps off the table. Some really popular ones too. So that was criteria one. And then the second criteria was we want to be able to share the information in the app. So I I don't want to store it on a cloud server again you're sharing banking information. So the home budget app how it works is my my wife on her phone she'll update it and then she creates a a file that she exports and emails to me and I import it on my phone. So you can see the security in this, right? It's not being shared with anybody. I mean, okay, email's not email can be compromised, but that that's about the riskiest thing we've we've taken on in this whole endeavor. So uh, home budget, it it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It's not really flashy looking, but boy, it, it really meets the need.
0: And I think one of, I've mentioned this before too, one of the kind of the key factors that I like about it is that it does essentially bring in the the ability like those other apps to see your banking, kind of real-time banking information without actually having it there because you can enter in the amounts that are actually in your cash, credit and debit accounts so you're able to kind of reconcile against um what is in there uh, with with your expense tracker as well if if that makes sense
1: it does and i want to say one thing is a lot of these apps they offer a lot of auto built-in automation meaning depending where you you spent your money it'll categorize it so if if you were at loblaws or no frills the app would automatically know that's a grocery store. This must be grocery money, right? And if you were at a clothing store, it'll say, well, you're in a clothing store. This might as well go in your clothing category. And if a Netflix charge come in, well, this should go into entertainment, right? The app app has sort of artificial intelligence and it knows how to categorize your expenses. I'm not a fan of this. I think you should manually handle every single dollar you spend in your app, in your budgeting app. You should... You should have to handle every expense so you know it's there, you know what's happening, and you know you're still okay with it.
0: I, I agree with that. And it, that might seem like a very kind of clunky, very involved way to do it. But when it comes to budgeting, I'm sure you agree with that. This is the one place that you should want to be very, very involved and very hands-on. So I want to talk about now what it actually looks like to set up and utilize a budgeting tool. So we've already talked about the difference between expense tracking versus budgeting. So in a moment, we're, we're going to talk about first the expense tracking side of the equation before we move on to talking about the actual budgeting part, because Trevor, you would agree that expense tracking is the first part of budgeting,
1: Yes, you need you need a a bit of history on your your expenses to to create a meaningful budget. There's no sense creating uh, budget amounts that that don't line up with your historical spending because if just say you you want to spend ten thousand dollars a year in groceries, but or, or say you want to spend a thousand dollars a month on groceries, and historically you've spent two thousand dollars a month on groceries, well, you're never going to bridge that gap. So you you should. I'm going to say at least six months of historical spending before you can even dream of setting up budget amounts.
0: So that's, I think that's step number one. And that is that is very, I think, attainable. And before I guess we even get to being able to track those expenses, I want to talk about the layers of, of categorization and, and your rationale behind that. So we've already kind of talked about the mandatory divorce discretionary, but can you actually walk us through with what some examples of these kind of the layers of categorization that home budget specifically allows.
1: So you should have categories in the whole mindset of sediment categories. They should alter, they they should help you with decision-making. And here's an example. So there's no sense having, so I have a, a automotive category, general category. And within automotive, I've got fuel, maintenance, in licensing and insurance. So, but licensing insurance is in one, is one category. They used to be separate, but then I thought, well, I'm never going to have this car licensed, but not insured. That's just an example. And, and then, so you might say, it's good to see the cost of the insurance separate in case you, you start to say, well, gee, my insurance cost is going up every year. I wonder if I should, you know, pursue a lower cost insurance option, but the the licensing is an example that 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 cost you you can't shop around for a lower licensing cost, and that's with the province, so you're kind of stuck with that. So, I rolled licensing and insurance into one category because it it's not going to change my behavior like in any way. Now, I keep maintenance and fuel separate in that I if a car is getting too too expensive. In maintenance, it might be a sign that it's time to get rid of this car. It's costing a lot in maintenance to 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 operate this car just because it's getting old. And I keep the I keep the fuel, the maintenance. I have two cars, so I keep the fuel and the maintenance separate for each car. And I do that because just say I'm looking at my spreadsheet and I say, okay, next year I'm only going to have one car. What will my financial future look like? Well, I can take away the maintenance and the fuel for that one car easily and to see what visually that will look like in my future future world right my future financial world and that's an example of of how keeping those costs separate was beneficial now would i keep oil changes separate from you know that predictive maintenance separate from unpredictable maintenance in in terms of my car no that's not going to alter my behavior right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna forego predictable maintenance like oil changes and brake jobs versus unpredictable things like a transmission or a water heater or a radiator right separating those costs adds no value It it's not going to alter my decision making so that just that granularity just creates work and kind of muddies up the numbers and it kind of it, it doesn't add any value to the process so here's one we we used to keep our personal hygiene cleaning supplies and groceries all in one number and we we separated them and we now we have three categories we have groceries cleaning supplies and personal hygiene. And I'm, I'm questioning the value, the reason, like we, we, we did this in an experiment, but it's not like I'm going to eat less and, you know, or or use less personal hygiene or clean my house less. I don't think it's going to alter my behavior in any way, shape or form. So I'm thinking of collapsing those back into one category because I don't think I'm going to do any more or any less of those three things.
0: So I, I love those two examples. And the second one you just provided now, I mean, that's that's really real for everyone. I mean, not everyone maybe has a car, or has multiple cars, but the the groceries, cleaning and, and personal hygiene. I mean, that's everyone has that line, those line items within their budget. And I do like how you you made mention the fact that they were together. Now they're separate and you put them back together. That really illustrates the dynamic element of your budget.
1: Now the reason we did that is the grocery line was our biggest expense in our budget, runaway. And if 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 you live your personal finance life well, at some point in the future when you're in your fifties, that should be your most expensive line item in your budget. You know, it, it used to be your mortgage, then it used to be your car payment. I want if you get to the point where food is your most expensive item, you win. You've won. <laughs> That's a finish line. You've done it. <laughs> Success. So that, that's just something to think about. But we did that because it was our biggest expense. And we thought we should break this down and see if we can, you know, make this better. Right. So we isolated the food because we thought, okay, there, there could be opportunity here to save money. So we isolated the food and I'm going to say it's probably been two years and we've I don't think we waste any money, but we don't see any opportunity to reduce that number. We, I think we're as frugal as we can be, but that's why we separated it because it was our biggest expense. So we thought if there's any opportunity to cut spending and save more money, it's going to be here. So let's break this into finer categories.
0: But even from that perspective, while your initial decision to separate those categories was to save money, if anything, I mean, separating those brought about the The realization of that you weren't actually spending that much in groceries just all altogether. So even if separating it for the just the purpose of of being able to see those those spending a little bit clearer and bring more clarity around that, I think is powerful. So my just to as well with the categories, even from the home budget perspective. So you have the kind of discretionary, mandatory, and then within those those kind of folders, you can have subfolders. So this is where, um, how Trevor's talking about the car would kind of fall in there and, and all the other expenses. So you, there's the really sub categorization is what makes this uh, budgeting app really, really powerful. So a uh, big question for you, Trevor, and this one is one that I have struggled a lot with. And just the idea of conceptualizing is how do you build in or account for s- your savings within, um, a app like home budget?
1: Well, it has become a category, right? It's it's one of two things you either create a category or you move it into an account outside of your budget right so this you know i said when where i get how i get paid i can direct a portion of my pay to go to a separate savings account not you know out of my not part of my checking account where my all my expenses flow through so you either never put that money into your budget to start with or you categorize it within your budget
0: no, that makes sense. When we are talking about uh, setting that goal for savings, we're going to talk about that when we talk about in our budgeting section about how to actually um, stay committed to that goal. My final question for you, while well, we are talking about expense tracking. And this is just kind of a, a nitty gritty question about something that maybe a lot of us fall victim to is where is the d- diligence or self-discipline to actually update that budget on on a daily or a weekly basis and and what does this look like for maybe your wife cuz she's the one who kind of is involved in this um this is kind of the key part to making that expense tracking budget tool work so so what does this actually look like
1: Well you have to get to a place where you're really uncomfortable spending money that you don't know whether there's enough money there to spend like you you want to get to a place where you're you're so comfortable knowing before you spend money you know your budget has room and you feel uncomfortable what i call flying blind and not knowing if there's enough money in your budget to do whatever just say you're going out for dinner and you haven't updated your budget in like three weeks you're going out for dinner with some friends and you have no idea if you've overspent your dining out budget or not right you you just you're, you're so you're flying blind you don't know so you go to that restaurant, you might feel really uncomfortable what you order or even if you can afford this. I would just assume go to these things knowing I have room in my spending category for X amount of dollars and knowing it's, this is budgeted for, this is accounted, I, I feel good spending it, right? It's, it, it's, it's a difference between, it's just getting to a place where you're, you're uncomfortable not knowing.
0: I love that so much and that really brings about that piece of clarity that I believe the predictable versus unpredictable budgeting format was aiming to bring about and I saw that that's really it's a really great feeling that you should probably work towards achieving so I love that. I want to move on to the second last section we're covering in today's show uh, on this budgeting Q and A show, the last section is do's and don'ts. But this section that we're diving into now is, I think, the nuts and bolts of of this show, where we are moving from talking about expense tracking. So what we kind of just talked about um, at a previous section, and now we're actually going to talk about budgeting. So, I mean, Trevor, it's been so it's been six months. We're tracking our expenses. We're we're, we're there. How how do we move to that budgeting? stage and how do we set realistic budgeting figures um what is what does that look like
1: well i think you you need at least six months but ideally a year i call it a cycle you need you need a whole year's worth of expenses to really know and what it is is it's the timing that that can throw you off some of these expenses in life are not smooth monthly expenses they're lumpy like property tax i pay that three times a year that's a lumpy expense I pay my car insurance or my house insurance. I pay that once a year. That's a big, lumpy expense you you have to i I'm going to say account for that on a monthly basis. otherwise, when the bill comes in, you won't have enough money in your budget to cover it. So you really need a whole year's worth of of expense tracking before you can really set up a meaningful budget. and I'm gonna say it's something it's gonna be something that's constantly evolving, but even when you after one year you've set that budget up you're gonna massage that and tweak it throughout the, the next year. It's probably gonna be three years before you've got something really dialed in. And you know what, at the end of three years, your life has probably changed in some aspect that you're gonna to have to tweak it again. So it again, your budget is not a statue. It's it's more like a movie.
0: So when we actually sit down to to kind of allocate our income into these uh, budgeting, budgeted categories. Obviously it becomes apparent that having a million different categories becomes unrealistic, but how, how do we, how do we go about doing this? It, creating figures, I guess, that we can stick with and that are realistic.
1: There's no sense creating a budget that you can't actually do. Like you, there's no sense creating a budget that mathematically doesn't work, right? You'll just get frustrated. So it has to mathematically actually, there's no sense having a savings goal that doesn't align with your current income and expenses, right? You'll just get frustrated. So it's, it's being realistic in that. It, and here's the, here's the worst. This is the mistake we made early on is we just, the, the best thing we ever did in our personal finances is, is me and my wife, we gave each other an allowance, because it was unrealistic to think that you can't you can go through life and not have any sort we call it mad money or just you know guilt-free spending money it's it, what happens is you you deprive yourself for months and months and months and then you finally have a weak moment you just run out and buy something that you know that's shiny that you've you've wanted for a while and the, that money wasn't in your budget it came from it has to come from your savings goals or some other place and then it's like you're you the wheels have fallen off you got to start over. we gave ourselves the guilt free allowance money every week and it was a game changer
0: no and we've talked about that before and and for anyone who was curious that that number was it wasn't it wasn't large but i i it was definitely an amount that did its job so I, I want to talk kind of zero in on the, on these budgeting figures we set for ourselves. So when you are making kind of just allocating your, your money to these different figures, when, at what point have you gone kind of to, maybe you're, you're kind of, kind of restricting yourself a little bit too much within each category and, and know that you have to make adjustments or in, in the flip side, when do you realize that you are actually overspending? Like that's a fine line to walk.
1: Yeah, there's a fine line between adjusting your budget to meet your lifestyle and adjusting your lifestyle to meet your budget, right? There, there's, there's, a, uh, a de- there's a decision point in there somewhere where you, and you, you, you can't keep tweaking and adjusting your budget to accommodate your lifestyle and not your savings goals, right? That, that's the usually the thing that would suffer. So at some point, you're right, you you have to decide This is a realistic budget. We just have an unrealistic lifestyle at the moment. So it's really coming to terms with that, which there's no easy way to come to terms with that. You just have to be honest with yourself. And you remember I said you have this this down payment on the calendar, and you know how much money you can save each week, and it's really easy to figure out, right? If I save this much much money this week, I'll have this much money for a down payment a house on this day. And if this day keeps getting moved out on the calendar, then I'm clearly, I'm adjusting my budget to meet my lifestyle versus adjusting my lifestyle to meet my budget.
0: So good. That is so true. And I think that really kind of provides the answer to my next question about how you go about setting a goal for your savings and and, and, and really bringing that into your budget as well.
1: Well, the goal should be, a, a savings goal should be a date on the calendar, if you don't put a time parameter on your goal, it'll just keep moving. So whatever it is you want, I have a retirement date on my calendar. That date is not moving. That is carved in stone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you have something you want in life, put it on a timeline and go after it.
0: So last My last question for you before we move on to the very kind of wrap-up section of the show of do's and don'ts. And my question for you is around using your budget as an actual tool. And I think this is maybe a piece that we sometimes can't get behind because we haven't quite cultivated a budget that can be used as a tool. So how do we ramp up our, I guess when we are making a budget and, and, and just kind of using it. So pretend we don't actually have kind of this, hard, hard kind of goal as you do maybe with your early retirement. So pretend that's just not, we don't have kind of a hard goal in our mind at this moment. And we're just kind of going about trying just to maintain a balanced budget where we are making sure we spend less than we earn. So that's just kind of our, our goal in that moment. How do we then use our budget Um, as a tool instead to ramp up our savings or repay debt or, or achieve something like how do we kind of move that mindset and, and just attack our budget with a different lens? Well,
1: you have to want something in life. You have to want, like just say you have debt. You have to want to be out of debt. You have to, you can't just want to save money. It, it, that, that is not motivating enough for most people. So there's gotta be something in life you want that is going to make you create a budget and stick to it. If you don't, if you don't have any, any desires, any aspirations in life, you should go get some. (laughs) Cause, (laughs) cause they're game changers, right? You should want something in life.
0: So in saying that, I mean, if, if, if I'm listening, listening to this podcast right now and a budget is never, is a tool I just isn't working for. I mean, it might not, it might just be that, like you said, I haven't developed or cultivated aspirations or goals that make me want to commit to a budget. I love that. So finally, I want to wrap up the show with do's and don'ts of budgeting. Some of these are points that we've already touched on throughout the show, but worth repeating as we close out this budgeting Q&A episode. So we have three do's. I'll, I'll go through them and three don'ts as well. So uh, our first do is do update your budget close to when you spend the money for a proper cause and effect.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's no sense spending money on something really stupid and then updating your budget three months later <laughs> and saying, wow, that was really bad, but who cares? It happened a long time ago. <laughs> you you want to see how that bad decision impacts your financial numbers. So if you have this home budget app, which we are not sponsored by, but we think it's a really good app. Here's what my wife does. This is not a word of a lie. We'll go be grocery shopping. We get in the car and she's updating our uh, her app on her phone with our grocery spending before we pull in the driveway to unload these groceries. And we, she's already telling me how we are on track or not on track for our grocery budget this month. And I know that before I've even ate one piece of that food we bought. right? Or so, unpack
0: the food. Or even
1: unpacked it. So it, it, then we know, like, so you, you know when you're at the grocery store and you, you get the final bill. you go, holy crap, that's, I, I can't believe it costs that much. Well, once you see that, okay, it's in line with my my grocery budget, so don't feel bad about it. So it is a couple of things is if you've bought something you shouldn't if you spent more money than you should have, you get to feel bad right away, which you should. And if you spend a bunch of money on something and you think it was too much, and you update your budget, you find out, well, that's right on line, that's right in line with what I should be doing, you feel okay. So it can really help you emotionally to update your your spending as close as possible to when you actually spent the money.
0: That, that is so good, that don't feel bad about it, because I think that is something that plagues all of us, the, just not realizing that we have the money in our budget to do that. So I love that point so much. The next do is do collaborate. Budgeting has to be a partnership in any relationship. It's not just one pers- person's responsibility.
1: And what you end up with, just, just say my wife was the the person she she did all the budgeting she did all the bookkeeping and i i just and she just put allowance in my bank account and i didn't participate at all then every time i just say every time i wanted to buy something i'd say do i have enough money for this and you know my wife would say no i i would become resentful right every time i want something you tell me i can't have it you end up with a child and a parent right in the relationship you end up one being a parent and the other being a child and i think it's a terrible uh Scenario to create. If you're both involved, you never have to ask, you know, can I afford this or can we afford this? And one person always has to say yes or no. That gatekeeper job would really suck after a while, right? <laughs> You'd be like the, you know, the doom and gloom person all the time. So you end up one person being a gatekeeper is unfair. It's in the relationship. It really is. You both, it's a partnership. You should both know. Like I mentioned, we have this home budget. We, I, I don't have to ask. I can go look in my phone and say, is there enough money for, to go to the movie this Friday night? And I can look in our entertainment budget and say, yeah, it looks like there is. Unless uh, my wife's planning something you know, as well and she's spending the money at the same time I'm looking, like that, that's the only risk out there. So it, it's just, it just creates, a, I think, a better relationship with your partner when one person's not being asked to be the gatekeeper of the finances.
0: And last but not least, uh, for our do list is do you realize that budget planning is not math, it's actions.
1: And I talked about this earlier. So if you're trying to fix a spending problem, you don't you don't mathematically figure out um how much money how much less money you have to spend in your budget to to meet your savings goals. You figure out what action, what what behavior you need to change and see if that will translate into the 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 savings you're looking for. So look for the behavior, not the math to fix a problem.
0: And on our don't list, we mentioned this earlier in the episode but don't get too granular.
1: Yeah, I mentioned with my grocery budget. I, you get granular when it's going to help you with your decision making. If if you're looking at a line item and you don't have no idea why this expense is as high as it is, then then it's that's the time to break it into a more granular uh, view. Otherwise, you're just creating work for yourself.
0: My favorite don't point is don't think you get a pass. No amount of wealth, wealth or lack of wealth determines if you do or don't need a budget. And
1: okay, nobody gets passed on on budgeting in personal in the personal personal finance world. This is a requirement. I've had one my whole life. I think you so. When I was younger, it's like I had just enough money to pay all my bills. I needed a budget big time. Now I have a lot of excess money. I need a budget just as bad because if I if I make mistakes now, the, the stakes are so much higher. I could be spending money frivolously that doesn't make financial sense on things because I have so much disposable income. I could be wasting it. So when I was younger and I had just enough money to pay the bills – I was just want to make sure I had enough money to pay the bills i didn 't really worry about me wasting money. There was no extra money to be wasted but now at this stage of my life there 's a huge opportunity to waste money to to just spend money in on on, on stupid lifestyle inflation if i didn 't have a budget that was keeping me on course that's i 'm certain that 's where I would be so every stage of your life the more wealth you have, it's probably you need a much a budget more than somebody who has very little wealth because the stakes are really high.
0: Definitely. And I think there's this conception that if you are living through excess, if you have more money than you need, that you don't really need a budget because you're okay. And that budgeting is just simply if you are trying to make ends meet. So I really, I do love this point for that reason. Finally, our last point of the episode is don't think budgeting is temporary.
1: So it's not like a diet. You don't do budgeting to solve a temporary problem and then go back to your old ways of just living blindly financially. Budgeting is a a lifestyle requirement. You you can't you can't be on and off the budgeting bandwagon. You get on it, you stay on it. It it is the difference between building wealth and winning at personal finance and not.
0: And on that note, that brings us the end of today's show, our budgeting Q&A episode. We talked about methods of budgeting, tools used to budget, how to actually set up your budgeting tool, what that looks like. We talked about moving from simply using your budgeting app or tool as an expense tracker to actually creating budget amounts. And finally, we wrapped up today by talking about the do's and don'ts of budgeting. Thank you so much for being here with us for this episode on budgeting. We hope you were able to answer some of your questions with our answers. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for a brand new show. Until then, keep it simple.